Welcome to the Whitewater Podcast. Stay tuned at the end of the message for church resources and more information about Whitewater. For now, let's dive into this week's message together. I got this phone call when I was a youth pastor, and it was a student in my youth group. We had this agreement that he was going to be doing this major project for a school, and I was going to be like the community uh, leader that signed off on his project, except that that had been agreed on like months before this call. And then in the call, I hear this, hey, I need you to come down to the school and sign the papers for my project. And I'm like, I haven't seen any of his project, hasn't hit any of the marks that we talked about. And so my initial reaction was like, you haven't been responsible. You haven't managed your time. I'm super busy. There's more important things. This is maybe a life lesson. But the spirit kind of slowed me, the Holy Spirit slowed me down a little bit. Before I fully answered the way I wanted to, uh, I began just like thinking about his life. And this is a kid who grew up without a father, single parent home. He had to take on a job in high school to help pay for the rent. He helped raise his sister. He was growing up in a really tough neighborhood, really tough apartment complex. And like his life was so much more challenging than most, most kids. And so I just felt the spirit said, you got to help him. And so what I ended up doing was, you know, not uh, writing him off and, and not just, you know, giving him everything he wanted. We came up with an agreement for how he could earn that signature in the, in the right way. And so I showed up at school. I remember showing up to his classroom. I was with like an, uh, you know, an office attendant. It was my old high school. And the teacher he had was my old teacher. And I knew this guy had a good sense of humor. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm growing in compassion. And not perfect with compassion. But when I saw him, I, I uh, grabbed a piece of paper and I wrote down three quick things and I handed it to the, the office attendant and said, hey, go have the teacher read this. So she brought it in. The teacher teacher looked down and we'll say this kid, his name is Tom to protect the innocent. And the teacher looked down at the paper, kind of, kind of quizzical. And he looked up and he said, Tom, here's a message for you. It says this, your brother is here. He has your underwear. And everything's going to be okay. And the room exploded with laughter, except for him. Every, I mean, people were just laughing. And he just went up straight, kind of looking around. He said, I don't have a brother, which was true. But that's when I tapped on the window. And everybody in the classroom looked over. And I just waved. And all of them were thinking, Tom, your brother's here. He has your underwear. And everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I just remember him turning beet red. He came out. He's like, I can't believe you did that to me. I was like, I can't believe that you called me last minute like this. Again, I said, I'm growing in compassion and learning to be compassionate. But it was so good that the Holy Spirit slowed me down, slowed down my initial reaction. We live in a world that struggles with compassion. In fact, the world often is seeking to condemn or to condone. Condemn people and cancel them. Condemn people and control everything or separate from people that we condemn. Or on the other hand, people are looking to condone everything because it's easier. You can just go with the flow and everything's good. Everything's great, even when it's not really. And you just participate in all kinds of things that may or may not be good. And Jesus gives us a third way between condemning and condoning. And it's the way of compassion. It's a third way. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts to enter into the places of pain, to share brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those who are in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears, 
Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, powerless with the powerless. You see, compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human. Condoning and condemning are much easier to do. And both sides of you know, the political party and both sides of uh, any way you can look at something, condemning and condoning is so much easier than having compassion because compassion requires emotional and spiritual investment. It requires slowing things down. It requires identifying and entering into someone else's world and seeing from their perspective. This story, this teaching is based on this conviction. We have a God who is compassionate toward us and wants us to learn to be compassionate toward others. Last week, we introduced a story that I think is such a wonderful picture of the compassionate way of Jesus. And this story is really broken into three scenes, three key scenes. The first scene we're calling the desperate father. The second scene is called the desperate daughter. And the final scene I call the compassionate father. Now, we covered the first scene last week and we're moving from that scene to the new scene. We learned about a man named Jairus, who is the leader of a synagogue, and he came to Jesus desperate for Jesus to heal his daughter. He asked Jesus, would you come and heal her so that she may live? The whole crowd follows Jesus and Jairus as they move, as they rush to go heal his daughter. And it's in this movement with the crowd and in this rush and in this hurry that we meet the new character, the desperate daughter. Starting verse 25, this is Mark chapter 5, verse 25, says, A woman in the crowd had suffered 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. I mean, she's been desperate for health, desperate for healing, and has given all of her money away, and none of it's worked. In fact, it says this, But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. This is her reality. And in the moment of rush and hurry and excitement where Jesus has responded with compassion to Jairus, his desperate plea for Jesus to help and heal his daughter, there's this moment of interruption. And this woman who's introduced, she probably has something like cervix or uterine cancer, something that's been wrong for 12 years where she's been bleeding and unhealthy. And in this culture that had not only physical ramifications and mental and emotional, but also social ramifications. See, socially, the, the religious community of that day believed if you were bleeding or had any kind of sickness like this, you became ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go to worship. You couldn't be around your family. If you touched anybody or they touched you, they would become unclean. And so here's this woman. She's at the bottom of the heap. We've met an, another character, Jairus, who's at the top of the social heap. And this woman, she's a woman in this culture, which puts her lower than the men. She's sick. She's unclean. She's poor. She's lost everything. She's unseen to the world. And it says this about her. I love this moment. She had heard about Jesus. And so she came behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. I want to just hang out on the first part of this verse. I love that it says she had heard about Jesus. 
some of us have had enough of hearing about politics, enough of hearing about the division of different ideologies, hearing about the the divisive nature between wearing masks and not wearing masks and vaccines. Like it's just, it's created a, a tension and we're tired of it. And I'm willing to bet some of us are here today because we've heard about Jesus. That's why we really are here. You might not even know Jesus yet. You might not even believe or trust in Jesus. But many of us are here because we want to hear more about him and his way of compassion. Isn't it amazing that just hearing about Jesus could cause someone who's at the bottom of the heap, like this woman, to reach out, to find him, to start moving toward him, to plant seeds of hope and faith, just hearing about him. And I think that's true today, that just hearing about the compassionate person, teacher, and Savior, Jesus, can begin to start a journey in all of our hearts. And so she moved toward Jesus through the crowd to grab his robe. So why did she grab his robe? Check out the next verse. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. If I could just reach out and touch his robe. Well, Jesus has been doing miraculous things in his ministry. And so there's probably stories of healing. So it makes sense that she would want to seek Jesus out if she's been sick. But why touch his robe? Like, that seems kind of weird. Why touch his robe? Like, there's no story of Jesus having healed someone through his robe that I know of to this point in his ministry. So why that? And I think the reason is because this woman, she knows the Bible. She knows her Old Testament, which was the Hebrew Bible of that day. There's this old verse in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, and it says this, But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy. Healing in his wings. Do you know what in Hebrew culture they called the robes of a rabbi? They called the robes the wings. This woman believes that Jesus is the son of righteousness and that there is healing in his wings, in his robe, like he's just emanating healing. And she has the faith just to touch the hem of his robe. Our pain determines what we notice and what we don't notice. When we have pain, we see things, we'll focus on. Like she remembered that verse because it was about the healing of God. And those of us who maybe don't have healing or have never gone through, whether it's emotional or physical, chronic pain and sickness, we might be totally unaware of other people's feelings and experience. We don't notice even aspects of the Bible. The pain you experience, it determines what you notice. But see, God doesn't miss. God isn't blind to our pain or the pain of others. Let's jump back into the story. Verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped. She believed that there was healing in Jesus, that he was the son of righteousness. She reached out, touched his robes and healing. The verse was prophetic for this woman. She was healed immediately and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. You know, just imagine after 12 years of chronic pain, chronic separation from the community and family you love. Uh, relationally, emotionally, like the damage that's gone on, the pain you've experienced, and all of a sudden you're healed. Just imagine what that moment would be like for this woman. Imagine what that would be like if it were you. My wife 
went through five years of chronic pain. She had really bad back pain and those were hard years. I remember us going to doctors and doctor after doctor and, you know, nothing really helped. Nothing really helped. And we had friends praying for us and people lifting us up. But when you're in chronic pain and uh, there's no seeming solution and doctors can't figure it out. I mean, there's limitations in this world. And we're seeing in this story that although there's limitations for doctors and pastors and well-meaning people, there's not those same limits on Jesus. He is the son of righteousness. He is the one who created us and recreates us and heals us. It says in verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. And just stopping there for a moment, I think it's so important to recognize that God cares about the pain that no one else sees in our lives. He cares about the pain that no one else sees in your life. He knew that healing power had gone out of him. And so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? You see Jesus, he's in this rush. He's moving to go heal somebody. And then an inadvertent healing happens. He's like, whoa, stop. Someone touched me. Who touched me? And look at his disciples' response. His disciples say to him, look at this crowd pressing in around you. How can you ask, who touched me? Like you can see the disciples just like, are you kidding, Jesus? We're, we're in a crowd, like everyone's touching you. Like quit being a drama queen. <laughs> you know, and COVID's probably made all of us a little bit more aware of, you know, how close people are and aren't. And you could just see Jesus' disciples thinking like, this is not a great OCD moment, Jesus. Can we just keep moving? We got to go do something. This is embarrassing. Why stop and make a scene because someone's touched you? See, to me, this doesn't point out like this, uh, I don't know, like Jesus being like a stickler and upset. What this shows is to me is that in a world gone mad, that's hurried and worried and too busy for anybody else. Jesus can sense the smallest and most insignificant hand reaching out for healing. There's no person, there's no act of faith that's too small that Jesus doesn't notice. But he kept looking around to see who had done it. He wouldn't stop. He wouldn't keep going. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. She came forward and she thought maybe she's going to be in trouble. She shouldn't have done it. Because when you touch someone in her culture with her sickness, you make them unclean. And she should not have done that in her position. And I think it's in this moment, like very vulnerable moment where this woman is at the feet of Jesus. There's a crowd all around. Jairus is like still trying to move Jesus forward. And then when he realizes what happened, that this woman who was sick, probably the whole town knew what her problem was. And she's probably, you know, at the bottom of the heap socially. It probably occurs to Jairus that this woman has just given his daughter a death sentence. Because a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus, if he's touched, he has to do a, there's a ceremony that leaders would have to do to become clean. And it takes a long time. In fact, it takes days. And that means that Jesus can't come and heal his daughter. You could just see the fury rising in him. Like, who is this? She's like, she doesn't need this. My daughter needs help. She's a nobody. She's been sick for years. She has no one advocating for her. I'm advocating for my daughter. She's she doesn't matter. This leads to what I think is the most powerful moment in this story, a teaching moment for all of us. Verse 34, I would underline this verse. It says, and he, Jesus, said to her, daughter, circle that word, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
your suffering is over. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't address probably the fury that's coming from Jairus that he stopped for this woman who's a nobody and who's really taken his daughter's life or opportunity at, at life for Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus looks at this woman and says, daughter. I think this is a moment where Jesus is teaching the crowd by teaching Jairus something. And hopefully it teaches us. I think Jesus is saying, Jairus, the way you love your daughter, the way you are desperate for your daughter, you would do anything you threw yourself at my feet five minutes ago. The way you love your daughter is the way my heavenly father and I love this daughter. She's someone's daughter too. And no one is advocating for her like you are advocating for your daughter. In this story, the woman isn't given a name until Jesus gives her a name. And it's not, you're an interruption. It's not, you're worthless. It's not, you're a sinner. It's not, you're broken. It's not that you're unclean. It's daughter. Her name is a name that only compassion can give. Condemnation can't give her that name. Condoning everything can't give her that. It is a special name. You are a daughter of God. It is raising her to the level that no one sees her at in this culture. All of a sudden, we begin realizing that this woman who's been sick for 12 years is connected to this girl who's been alive for those same 12 years. And we begin to realize that Jesus is saying, this story isn't just about one daughter. This is a story of two daughters. And if Jairus can place value on his daughter and advocate for his child because he loves her, all the unseen daughters in this world are named and loved by their heavenly father. And Jesus does not forget who they are. In this story, in this scene of the desperate daughter, I think we learn two key things. The first is this, reach out for yourself. Reach out for yourself. Last week we learned as Jairus reached out on behalf of his daughter that we're to advocate for others. But there is an aspect where we can reach out to Jesus ourselves. In this moment, this woman reaches and grabs the hem, just hoping for healing, hoping that the compassionate stories she's heard about Jesus are true. And they are. And we can reach out to Jesus. He wants us to reach out to him. And this woman could have feared that she was too worthless. She was too far gone. And all these other people had tried to help her. And if they couldn't help her, that Jesus couldn't. And the problem was too big. And she was t- wasn't worthwhile enough. And yet she reached out. And Jesus responded to her and called her daughter. She was healed. And she was his daughter. Are there any areas in your life, whether physical, emotional, spiritual, that you need to reach out for the compassionate healing of Jesus. Reach out. The second thing that we learn from the desperate daughter is that identity is given, not earned. So much in our, of our world, identity is sought and found and earned through who we know, our relationships, what we've done and our achievements, the status we gain, how popular we become. I mean, just look at like how important image is on social media. Like I need to be popular. I need to be liked. I need to be seen. And all of this is trying to earn some kind of identity that just in a moment, the popularity can end. In a moment, the status can be taken away. In a moment, all of our achievements can become nothing. And in this moment, we see that Jesus gives us our identities as a gift. We are God's sons and daughters. It's not something to be earned. It's only given. It's something that we have to receive. 
You and I are the sons and daughters of God. We live into that identity. So my question to you is, where have you been finding your identity? And how can you maybe begin to receive your identity as a son or daughter of God, fully loved, fully cared for in God's eyes? The world might not see your pain. Jesus does. The world might be telling you you're something, you're not, whether it's worthless or you're the most amazing thing and you're better than all these other people. Jesus sees us, loves us, and shows us how to live the compassionate way. In a world of condemnation and condoning, we can live the way of compassion. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining a home church, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.